great to be here with you this morning. Today, we are talking about relationships. Every relationship is complex. And let me just say this, we can all say it together, that every relationship has its issues. It has its problems and speed bumps. And today, we are going to talk about the motivations that exist deep in your heart that affect your relationships many times in ways that you don't even know. Not only do you have motivations in your heart, but the people around you have motivations as well. And sometimes they're very difficult to identify, but yet they affect us in tremendous ways. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine this scenario. Someone, your roommate, a friend, your spouse, uh, cooks this elaborate meal for you, a meal that you didn't ask for them uh, to make for you. And they do it out of their goodwill for you, and, and you're enjoying it, but, but yet throughout the night, either in front of friends or family or to you, they just seem to complain about how long it took to actually make this meal for you. So there's some motivations that are happening here uh, deep down. Or, or you, you receive a gift from somebody. Somebody buys you something that you didn't expect. And they just they bless you with it. And yet they get upset with you 20 minutes later because you didn't respond the way that they wanted you to respond when they gave it to you. Uh-oh. Imagine uh, another scenario um, where... Uh, here's, here's another example. Um, you're talking to your roommate or your spouse again, uh, and they need you to, to stop off at the grocery store, right? This is, a, this is a, a common scenario for us. And you smile and you say, no problem, and you hang up the phone, and the entire time you're grumbling under your breath and your eyes are rolling into the back of your head because you don't want to do it right? From marriages to your extended family, to roommates, uh, to literally people that you work with. Every single relationship is going to have some kind of conflict. Relational conflict is going to exist and it will test your emotional maturity. My hope today is to raise the bar on our relational IQ, now, make no mistake about it. When it comes to relationships and conflict, the greatest conflict uh, in a relationship is between man and our Heavenly Father. And it's a one-sided problem. We sinned against a perfect and holy God, and that relationship experienced eternal fracture. But what did we do? We do the same thing with God that we do in our actual relationships. When you look in the Garden of Eden, you read in Genesis, what is it that Adam and Eve did when they sinned against God and their relationship experienced conflict? Well, they went and they hid from God. And most of the time when we encounter conflict in relationships, we rinse our hands of the relationship, we run from it, we hide. We don't want to deal with the challenges that are in front of us. Whether you're in high school, middle school, whether you're 19 or whether you're 95, there is a propensity in every human not to deal with a relational conflict, but to rather run. And thankfully, I have great news for you today. Jesus, God sent his son Jesus on our behalf. He pursued us even when we were not pursuing him. 
Jesus is called the great mediator, and he died the perfect death for you and me. He lived the perfect life on our behalf, literally mediating our relationship between God and Heavenly Father. He did what we could not do for ourselves. And thankfully, because of the manner in which Jesus stepped in to the brokenness and he stepped into the conflict, And he brought wholeness to that which was broken. We now have a model. We have a picture of what to do in the midst of our own conflict and our own brokenness. And because of the Holy Spirit, we can step in with God working through us to bring wholeness to some broken situations. Turn to 1 Corinthians 13 if you're not there already. Verse 1. We read this last week. If you didn't read, if you weren't here last week, you can go back and watch uh, the service for that as well. Here's what Paul says, the writer of 1 Corinthians. He wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. Paul says that you gain nothing. We see a progression here in the text. Literally, uh, it goes from, (laughs) if you don't have love, you're saying nothing. If you don't have love, you are nothing. If you don't have love, you gain nothing. Paul is just, he's, he's making sure that no stone is left uncovered. It starts and ends with a, a Christ-like love for one another. And so he's writing to the church here in Corinth. They're a gifted church. They got it all going on. I mean, they're gifted. They're, there's, it's a wealthier church. It's in the center of one of the busiest uh, 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 cities at the time. Excuse me. But rather than operating with love towards one another, they look down on those with less gifting. Their spirituality is performative. It's competitive. And the manner in which they're relating to each other is what we would call unhealthy. And so Paul is teaching them and correcting them what it looks like to have true love for each other. In other words, how to have healthy relationships. Paul is not congratulating them on what they have. He is trying to help them on what they do not yet possess. And when we look around at our culture, we look around sometimes in our own own mirror. These are things that we struggle with. How to really love each other. I want to read this section one more time. Paul says that if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul surprises us because if anybody were to walk into our church or, or, or a friend that you know and, and, and you were privy to the fact that they had given all that they had, to help those in need. Or if you've been around church or you're a Christian and you're watching, if someone of faith were to come and sit down and have a cup of coffee and talk about, you know, literally being beaten for their faith, martyred, you know, in some kind of way or a relative for their faith, you would 
you'd look at that person and you'd say, well, this guy's a hero. This is a hero of the faith. And yet Paul makes a distinction that you can have all these things. And if you do them but don't have love, you've gained nothing. In other words, you can do some really great things in the name of Jesus without walking in the love of Jesus. So what are we supposed to do about this? I mean, Jesus... In Mark chapter 10, he has an encounter with the rich young ruler. If you turn there in the Bible to Mark chapter 10, you see this encounter where this young man comes to to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they have this exchange and they talk back and forth and all the things that Jesus tells them to do, the young man says, I've done all those things. And then in verse 21, Jesus looks at him. The Bible says he loved him. He says, one thing you lack, go Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. This man wants eternal life. He wants something more in his relationship with God. He knows there's something more, and Jesus is instructing him. Yes, we know there's more to the story than just being generous. This was the stranglehold on this man's heart. But we also see Jesus raising the level of importance of what generosity looks like in the life and heart of a believer. We know it's important. We know from looking at the early church that one of the greatest distinctions from culture and society and the church was radical generosity. We we praise the works of Mother Teresa and Hudson Taylor and these missionaries who literally gave their lives for those in other countries who were living in impoverished conditions. We praise them. We hail them. We aspire to be the kind of people that they are. Generosity is so important, but what we are capturing here, what Paul is getting at in this moment is that it's not just simply about what you do, it's how you do it. God doesn't simply care about what you do. He cares about how you do it. And that is a condition of the heart. And what we see is that God begins to peel back our motivations. What are the real motives for why we are doing what we are doing? It's not enough that we simply do it. Our heart must be aligned with God. We must love others. That must be our motivation today. So I want to talk to you about three conditions of the heart. Three things that plague us, that that, that reveal motivations that that we've got to work on. Uh, If you've got a notebook, this is the kind of thing that's worth taking notes on. Get your pen and your paper out today, right? Get your notes app out and get ready. The need for recognition is a motivation of the heart that is unhealthy and wrecks relationships. Think about, the, you know, the, someone does something nice. Something does something generous. Somebody does something generous. But the reality is they want to be noticed for what they are doing and what they've done. And that is really the motivation of it. 
So much so that, that Jesus, he talks to the Pharisees, he, he talks to, to the Jewish people at the time, and he, he talks to them about literally their giving. He's like, don't announce it to everybody. Right? Don't announce your prayer life to everybody. Be humble and gracious and keep it private. Because it allows you to, to keep the condition of your heart in a healthy check. And this little thing, it burrows deep into your heart. And now it affects not just your relationship with God, but your relationship with other people. So here's the question you need to ask yourself today that will really help you determine whether you struggle with this. If no one ever knows what you are doing, would you still do it? If no one will ever find out what you are doing, the manner in which you're serving, the manner in which you're giving or sacrificing, if no one ever found out about it, would you still do it? Think about it. The second uh, condition of the heart is what I call strings attached. Now, everybody sitting here knows what, what a strings attached uh, relationship looks like, an act of generosity that on the surface looks so nice and feels so good and how generous, but, but yet you're constantly reminded that this thing comes with conditions. You've been on the receiving end of this. Some of you may do this yourself, where you, you do something nice for somebody, but then you just keep bringing it up as if they owe you for what you did. That is not true generosity. Oh, on the surface, it looks like it, but there's a motivation at hand. I scratch your back, you scratch mine. God does not give this way. He does not give with strings attached. It is unconditional love. He sent his son Jesus on our behalf. And it is his great joy when we respond to that sacrifice. But you do not have to. And he does not shame you in this moment. There's no guilt trip from him. If those who I am serving never show gratitude or repay me in any way, will I still do it? Let me, let me say it in another way. If those whom you are serving never show you gratitude for what you've done, would you still do it? Would you still do it? I'm not saying that gratitude isn't good, that it isn't right, Expressing thanksgiving, these are healthy things. If you remember when Jesus healed the ten lepers, only one came back and thanked Jesus for what he had done. But understand, Jesus didn't snap his fingers and unheal the other nine because they didn't express gratitude in the way that he wanted. Make no mistake about it, all of them should have come back with gratitude and thanksgiving in their heart. But just because they didn't doesn't mean that, that Jesus held it over them. 
That would have revealed a motivation in his heart that he was somehow healing in order to get. We don't give in order to get. We don't bless in order to get. We don't pray and worship. I don't preach. We're not doing all of these things because somehow secretly we're waiting for the handout to come back to us. And it's one of the reasons why the prosperity gospel is so insidious and sick from the inside out. This idea that if you do something for God, that he somehow owes you in return. That is not why we worship. It's not why we give. It's not why we pray. It's not why we lift our hands. It's not why we sing. It's not why we do anything. We don't give to get. We give because Jesus is that amazing. And what God has done for us is that marvelous and that wonderful. And the only natural response is that of worship. That's why we do what we do. The third condition of the heart I don't like to share this, <laughs> is the grumbling heart. There's a condition here. Now, you'd, you'd think, oh, grumbling, that's easy to identify. The other two, sometimes those are a little bit more deceptive. But a grumbling heart, that's easy, isn't it? But is it? It's easy when you're just you know, walking around kicking the can into the garage and you're having a, a bad attitude because of something that didn't go your way. But this idea that, that there's a grumbling heart, if, I, if, if you had to suffer for continuing what God had called you to do, would you do it? If you had to suffer through what God was asking you to do, would you still do it? Or would you grumble your whole way through it? Maybe even silently. There's just this root of, of bitterness or this root of resentment or, or the literally in the Bible, the word murmur literally comes from lips that just that's literally where the word murmur comes from. It comes from, you know, that, that kind of just walking around with your lips grumbling underneath your breath. Is that the heart's attitude. Oh, you may do it. You may be compliant, but is there joy in your heart for doing what God has asked you to do? Or do you have the condition of a grumbling heart? See, uh, James writes this in, in Jesus' brother, chapter 4 of the book of James. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? That's verse 1. Just track with me here. Your, you have desires in your heart, motives in your heart that are waging war inside. And you have to check those things at the foot of the cross. Verse 3, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James is, is, is reminding us here that motives play a big part of this. You can literally be praying and, and asking God to do things and you can do it with the wrong motives in your heart. If you can ask with wrong motives, you can also give with wrong motives. 
Let's say this one more time because motives are deceptive. You can have wrong motives in worship and in prayer and even in reading the Bible. Right? I read the Bible today. Check it off the list. Now God somehow owes me because I'm a good person. I've done something good in his kingdom. No, that's not how this works. And so we are reminded from the writings of Paul and now the writings of Jesus' brother James that if you can ask with wrong motives, you can give with wrong motives. In other words, we can do everything in God's kingdom and we can do it without true love for God or without true love for others. And that's convicting. It should be convicting. So what do we do about it? I am so glad that you asked today. It wasn't too long ago uh, that I walked out through my garage and, and, you know, was getting in my car and I saw one of my tires was a little bit leak, was a little leaky. It was, it was, (laughs) one of my tires was low on air is what I'm trying to say. It wasn't flat, but I could tell it was a little bit low. So, you know, I, I got, I put some air in it. No problem. And, you know, if you've ever driven on low tires, you know, you, you can get by with it. It's not the same as if you have, like, your engine just blows up and stops working, right? When you have, t- when your air is beginning to get low on your tires, you can still operate many times. Now, you've got to be careful because you can have a blowout right on the interstate. But many times, it's a slow leak when it comes to a tire, It's very different many times than the explosion that hits the engine that everybody can see and there's smoke and, you know, you've you've passed a person on on the interstate whose car is literally on fire, you know, on the side of the road. So I went and I got air in my tire and, you know, everything is, is fine. And then like two or three days later, I come back out and I see that same tire has lost air again. It's not flat. It's not undrivable but it's not operating the way that it should. And so I get it to discount tires. I pull in, they look at the tire and they find the tiniest, I'll call it a thumbtack. It was more than that, but the tiniest little thing in my tire. They pull it out and that was the small little hole that was leaking air. And when we talk about motives in your heart, Many times these things are, are, are like a, 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 a leaky tire. It's not this thing that, that just blows you apart spiritually. It's this thing that over time you just begin to erode spiritually and your relationships begin to take a toll. This is why it's difficult to identify because it's a slow leak. So what do we do about this? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Blessed are you when your heart is is pure. In other words, when you have purity that reigns from top to bottom, when you have purity that reigns in your heart, you see God properly for who he is. When you see God for who he is, you have the ability to see his creation for who they are. 
When I see God for, for the majestic, wondrous God that he is, I'm able to see other people as the sons and daughters and image bearers that they are. I have purity, the purity of Christ that reigns in my heart. That's what we need. That doesn't mean that it's easy to always find and get, but that's what you need. If we want to see people and treat people and have healthy relationships the way God intended, then we have to have purity in our heart and purity in our motives and our intentions. Even David, the man after God's own heart, struggled with, these, with the, the, the motivations of his heart. He struggled with this. We see him as the king, uh, I mean, in many ways, abusing his kingship and, and manipulating and, uh, his relationship with Bathsheba and having an affair with her. Right? We see the same thing at work with Bathsheba's husband, where David operates with pretense and acts like he's his friend. But in reality, is, is just manipulating the situation to make things look a certain way and ultimately even to get Uriah killed and slain. Oh, these are massive problems in David's heart. They reveal tr tremendous unhealthy motivations, sick motivations, might I add. But when Nathan the prophet rebukes David, we see a heart that is truly repentant. And he pens Psalm 51. And I won't read all of it, just verse 10, where he says, God created me a pure heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, David knew that in order for him to have relationships that honored God and relationships that honored the people around him, in order for him to love the way God designed him to love, he was going to have to have a renewed spirit and a pure heart. Purified motives, purified intentions, purity coming out from the, literally, from, the, from the core of who David was. That's what he needed. And getting back to this, this leaky air, leaky uh, tire scenario, one of the ways that we, 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 we lack purity in our relationship with God and ultimately others is by doing the things that ensure the spiritual air in our tires remains intact. In other words, you and I need time with Jesus. We need time in God's presence where your spirit is renewed, where the intentions of your heart are laid bare before him. And he literally purifies you from the inside out. The only way you experience that, the only way you encounter that is by having relationship with Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And that means you spending time, yes, in prayer, with the intention and motive of simply being in God's presence. It means that you get into the Bible, and yes, on a regular basis, not so that you can check it off on your calendar and say, look what I did, am I not so spiritual? No, we get into the Word consistently because we long to encounter a Savior who can change us and make us new. 
It means when I get in my car and, I, and I'm choosing what music to listen to, there are a lot of times where what I know I need is worship music, and I've got to turn that thing up, not just because I want something that's got a good bump and a good beat, but because I need to encounter God. Yes, throughout the day. Yes, while I'm in my car, driving from one place to the next. Oh, mark my words. You can encounter God's presence through an MP3 player in your car, streaming it through your speakers. You most certainly can. And we don't do it for any other reason than simply to say, God, you are God and I need you. I long for you. Renew my spirit and purify my heart. This is what our relationships need with each other and with God. You need purity. You need a renewed spirit. This morning, I believe you have an opportunity to take a deep breath wherever you are and ask God to do in your heart what David asked him to do in his. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you are a God who moves on our behalf. And when we seek you, you respond. You, Jesus, remind us to ask, seek, and knock, and that the door would be open to us. God, we need a miracle in our hearts today. We need health in our relationships today. Lord, we know we get stuck. We know we have problems. Sometimes it's, it's things that people do to us. God, give us strength. Give us the ability to forgive. Give us hope in those relationships. But God, where we are also perpetuating these problems, we need your intervention. God, help us to see where our motives and the intentions of our heart have gone askew. Help us right now and give us a pure heart and a renewed spirit. Right where you are this morning, literally just pray out loud, say, God, today I need a pure heart. Purify my motives. Purify my relationships and make me new. Lord, I love you and worship you. Amen. Amen. I believe God is at work today. I believe in this series that we're in, uh, working through relationships. I believe that God is, is busy at work inside of us, moving and working, strengthening those relationships. Don't give up. Don't quit. Every single week, we're going to begin adding more relational IQ to this tool belt as we read through and work through 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Walk in purity today with the relationships around you. Love Jesus and love others. See you right here next week.